good to see you. I'll invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, to chapter 8. Beginning in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written, that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said unto him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Our Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for... This passage of Scripture in John 8, we pray, Father, that as we expound upon these words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that these words would come to life for us, that we would, that we would rally in them, that we would take them to our, into ourselves, That they would not just be mere words on a page, but rather life and breath and vitality to us. And so we pray on the other side of that, that those who do not know you might be convicted deeply of their sin and their, their insult of your holiness by breaking your law. So Lord, do your work. By your spirit, through your word this morning we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Jesus' words that he is the light of the world were received with disdain and negative reaction from the Jews. They accused him of having a testimony that had no legal standing because he was testifying alone. It was a lone testimony. The law required at least two people to establish the truth in any given matter or claim. Jesus had even said in chapter 5, verse 31, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. This is not a contradiction, for in that passage he is talking about the legal ramifications of the law. He's reminding them that there needs to be witnesses. This was because that the one who was the defendant, this was said because the one who was the defendant in a case could not be his own witness. It would be a a biased statement. In fact, the law was very clear. From Deuteronomy chapter chapter, uh, 17, Numbers chapter 35, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. There had to be multiple witnesses. A single witness, Deuteronomy 19, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or wrongdoing in connection with the offense that he's committed. Very clear statements. Now, why are these scriptures important? They're important because the Jews were seeking to put Jesus to death. And they needed something that would stand up in their court. And they are grasping Desperately to find something. They want him dead. And they are not having, they're not, they don't have enough evidence to put him to death. His statement in chapter 5, verse 31, should not be interpreted to mean that what Jesus said about himself was not a truthful fact. Certainly is truthful fact. Everything that he said was true. If that were not so, then he would be guilty of lying and he would be just as much a sinner as anyone else and he would not be able to be the Savior and he could not redeem anyone. What the Jews are saying of him is that his claim To be uh, the light of the world is not true because there was no one to testify of the validity of it. This is what they're pointing at. His statement about being the light of the world. But that was not true either. There was indeed witness to the very fact that Jesus was the light of the world. It started out in the very first part of John's gospel in chapter 1. He came as a witness 
to bear witness about the light. Well, who came to bear witness? That was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, through the light. John says he was not that light, but came to bear witness of the light. So Jesus, in the very first chapter, is depicted as the light of the world. That lights every man coming into the world. John chapter 5 verse 36. But the testimony I have is greater, Jesus says, than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, those very works I am doing, they bear witness about me that I that the Father sent me. In verse 39 of that same chapter, he says, you search the scriptures. Because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they are they which bear witness about me. So we have these three things right at the very outset of Jesus going, Jesus coming into the world and going into his ministry. We have the light, which John said he came to bear witness. We have the works, which Jesus said he's doing, (coughs) which are the same as the Father's works. And we have the scriptures themselves. That bear witness. There are all kinds of witnesses. That testified that Jesus was telling the truth about himself. Sadly in verses 15 through 18 of our text in John 8. The Jews are judging him by standards. Human standards. Something that Jesus never did. That's why Jesus says, I judge no one. Well, what does he mean? Certainly doesn't mean that he is not capable of judging. Because his judgments are always true. They're always accurate. Because they're the same judgments that are made by the Father. Jesus never made judgments independent of the Father. But always in concert with him. To judge according to the flesh, as he accused them of doing, which was true, to judge according to the flesh is to go beyond mere appearances and judge with fallen malcontent and pride and self-aggrandizement. This is what the Jews were after. They wanted their place. They wanted their comforts. They wanted their position, their power. They wanted to be able to hold sway over the people. And Jesus was a threat to that. The truth of his words were a threat to that. They look at him and they see only his fleshly appearance and never consider that he may be the word made flesh. Now, when Jesus says that he does not judge anyone, he does not mean that he will never pass judgment because we know that the Scriptures teach us that he will. I mean, we we see it in so many passages. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, where he separates the sheep from the goat and he judges them. That's the judgment of the nations. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, Paul says there in that chapter that God has has made a day in which he will judge the world by that man whom he has raised from the dead. That's Jesus. 
Romans 2, John 5. In fact, John chapter 9, verse 36, if you'll just flip the page, you'll see that. John chapter 9, uh, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. He came into the world for judgment. What he is saying is, is that he does not judge anyone the way his opponents judge them in the flesh. He doesn't look at the superficial exterior. He looks at the heart. And that's something only God can do is look at the heart. You, you, you and I can't do that. <clears throat> we can't look at somebody and, and know exactly their motives because we can't see their heart. All we can do is judge on outward appearances. Sometimes you can see people do wrong things and you can say that's wrong. But we're not able to look at the motives of why people do the things that they do. We're not able to see if something is simply a mistake in judgment. Jesus could see it all because he looks at the heart. And as the one who judges the heart in righteousness, he is never wrong. He's never wrong. His judgment coincides with the Father's judgment. This is all substantiated by the Father's witness of His Son and His Son's witness of the Father. And that is a beautiful, chiastic sort of arrangement of verse 18. Because he, uh, if you're familiar, I think a few years back I mentioned this chiasm, this chiasmus uh, form of literature which repeats things in reverse order to make point. This is, this is what we see. It's a, uh, we see it there, and it lends credence to the truthfulness of both the Son and the Father with regard to their witness of each other. In verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So he's, he's look, it's like looking in a mirror. And you see, you see the reflection of what's in the mirror and it comes back to you and it explains things. This is what Jesus is doing. He is, they are witnessing each other. The Son bears witness concerning Himself. The Father bears witness concerning his son and both of their testimonies are the same and both of their testimonies are true the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity will be added to this in chapters 14 through 16 he's not yet added the summary of these verses that Jesus gave is clear an undeniable evidence that the truth of his statements are true in three avenues of testimony. 
Number one, he made the claim that he had come from the Father in heaven. In fact, in, in chapter 16, he will, he will make that stated truth. Listen to what he says. I came from the Father and have come into the world. You can't make no more clear than that. And I am now leaving the world and going to the Father. His self-knowledge was not only a claim that he made concerning himself, but it was one that the disciples knew as well. In chapter 2, verse 25, it says he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew himself what was in man. He had the knowledge of humanity. In chapter 16, verse 30, now we, they said to him, they said to the Lord, we know that you know all things. And Peter makes that same statement in chapter 21. Lord, you know everything. They knew that he knew what was going on around him and what was in people's hearts. And he knows what's in your heart and my heart. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of him who sees everything all at once. No one can hide. No one can get by. Because they think that no one sees. Jesus' opponents had no knowledge of where he came from or where he was going. And he had already told them that in chapter 7, verse 41. So this self-knowledge, he made the claim that he came come from the Father in heaven. Second was the avenue of testimony uh, that he shared the same nature with the Father. Not only that he came from the Father, but that he was just like the Father. Having the same essence as the Father. In other words, he claimed equality with God. And this was the one thing that they hated him for the most, was that he claimed that he was God on earth. And he was. And they wanted to kill him for it. But chapter 5 verse 18 makes that very clear. His testimony was true because it was of the same nature as the Father. Something that Jesus will reiterate again in chapter 10 verse 30. When he plainly says to them, I and the Father are one. The third avenue of testimony was that he turned their law on their heads. Having ample heavenly witness of the Father was enough to vindicate him. Jesus appealed to the heavenly Father in all that he did and all that he said. Now notice verse 19. This is kind of a strange statement and one that needs a little bit of uh, understanding of where the Jews are coming from here. In verse 19, he says, it says, and he said, uh, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Where is your father? Isn't that kind of a strange way to ask? 
Wouldn't you think they would say, Who is your father? They didn't. Where is your father? Behind this statement, this question, we can see the wicked fallen tack of the Jewish leaders. The darkness of spiritual unbelief is always looking for that which will cast doubt on the veracity of God's truth. Always looking some way to discredit God's truth. And this is what they're doing here. Where is your father? Can't you see the deviousness, the diabolical aspect of it? But the light reveals the hidden things of darkness and exposes them for what they really are. Now when the Pharisees ask, where is your father? It is far more than just trying to figure out who he is. It is a direct accusation against the legitimacy of the birth of Christ. They're trying to prove that Jesus had an earthly father, and thereby discredit his claim of being the Messiah. And that's borne out if you turn the page and look at at verse 41. Well, let's go back to 39. Here's, Here's what they said. They answer him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. That I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Don't you see what they're saying? They're saying, you're illegitimate. Your, your mother, your mother and father weren't even married. There's words for that. Which I won't use. What an insult to the Son of God. To accuse him of being illegitimate. Uh, Joseph was probably dead by this time. And they would have, some would have known. Maybe they knew that he, that he was the son of Joseph the carpenter. From Nazareth. His answer to them is straightforward. He says to them, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Isn't that reassuring for those of us who do know him? That if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, In the forgiveness of our sins. If we are following Him as our Lord and our Master. Then we know the Father as well. He's our Father. And and He loves us like He loves His own Son. God cannot be known except through His Son, Jesus Christ. Turn back with me. Hold your place in John 8. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Notice verse 27, if you will. Jesus 
makes this statement. He makes this statement in Matthew 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Now get this last part. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Isn't that good? What he's saying is, you and I would not be able to know the Father at all unless the Son chose to reveal the Father to us. And he has. He's chosen to reveal the Father to us. As undeserving as we are, we know the very God of heaven, the one who created all things through his Son, Jesus If these Jews could just prove that another, if they could prove that he was just another man like any other man, likely born of illegitimate parents, then they could secure their position of the nation and remove Jesus as a spiritual teacher and threat. But he wasn't like any other man. The the guards, the, the officers who came back said, no one has ever spoken like this man. He wasn't like all others. There was no teaching. There is no teaching of heresy that is so damaging to the good news of the gospel as the teaching that Jesus is not God in the flesh. This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They do not... They teach that Jesus was not God in the flesh, but rather just a son of God. If he's not God, then none of us are saved of anything. We're still lost and in our sins, and we will still pay for our sins ourselves. However, they could not prove anything against him. It was Jesus who was doing the proving against them. And this is the way it will always be. People might, at the judgment, people might cry out, but Lord, didn't we do this or that or the other? And what will he say to them? Hmm, Depart from me, I I don't know you. I don't know you. He had all authority. He had all power and truth. He had all sovereignty. And that was all given to him by the Father. This kind of knowledge is his alone. And no one else except him. And those to whom he reveals it know it. The world at large doesn't know it. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know where Jesus came from. And quite frankly, they don't care. It is His choice as to whom He reveals it to. Now look at verse 21, verses 21 to 24. 
Jesus reiterates the truth that he revealed to them earlier. And they, that they cannot go where he is going. This was stated back in chapter 7, in verse 34. He told them the very same thing. He said to them, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. What was he talking about? He's talking about going to heaven. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, that's a, that's a hard statement to make. But the statement here goes a step further in depth and shows the omniscience of Christ, His all-knowing character. Look what He says. Not only does He repeat that they cannot go or come where He's going, but then He adds, you will die in your sin. Oh, you're going to die in your sin. Don't you think that would shake you up a bit if, if someone told you that? Didn't shake these Jews up. The very God of heaven, the very omniscient one standing right in front of them, says to them that they're going to die in their sin. Now the word sin here... The King James Version has sins, but here the word is actually singular. And the reason it's singular is because it, it's looking at the totality of a person's sin. Not individual sins, but the totality of those individual sins being jammed together, all together, and heaped upon the head of the one who has committed them their whole life. He says, you will seek me, but you won't find me. Well, what would what seeking would they do? Would they seek him in repentance and faith? No. The seeking that Jesus is talking about here, you will seek me, is a seeking of despair that comes at the moment of death when they will go into eternity without hope. They'll want him then. But they will not find him. How many times have you heard people say, Oh, I'll just, I'll just do that. I'll just become a Christian just before I die. No, you won't. You might, you might want to. You might seek. But you won't find. They will want Him then, but they will not find Him. They will experience no comfort, no peace. They will experience only the desperation of eternal darkness and torment. The one they rejected will not be present to help them. Not at that hour. There are a few people who make deathbed confessions and that are real. I'm convinced of that. 
But the vast majority of people that reject the Lord their entire lives come up to the point of death and they may want forgiveness, but they will not find it. Their reaction to his prophetic words are as though they didn't even hear him. And this is the problem, is it not, of the hardness of the human heart? The words of truth go out, but men do not hear it. They don't take it in. This is what self-righteousness does. It elevates the individual in their own minds to believing something that isn't true. The personal guilt of these Jews just keeps piling up and their hearts just keep getting harder and harder and harder. And sometimes... When a person hardens their heart and stiffens their neck against God to the point that God just simply hardens them. He just hardens them himself so that they don't hear. And this is the judgment Jesus said he came into the world for. Those that think they see, he makes blind to it. Don't let yourself become one of those. I know most of you. I don't know all of you. Don't. Be one of those people who comes to the end of their lives and and thinks, oh, if I'd only, if I'd only, I will now, but but you can't find it. This kind of spiritual hatred comes from a sneering sarcasm that that reveals the depth of their lostness. These Jews are revealing what they really are inside, in their hearts. How do they answer His stinging words? They answer with sarcasm and contempt and smugness. Is He going to kill Himself? Is he, going to, is he going to kill himself? Is that why we won't be able to find him? Can you imagine? Now why did they say that? Why, why this phrase about killing himself? Jesus, after all, was talking about his death, was he not? Where I'm going, you can't come. After I'm dead, you can't come there. So they they hated him so much that they would place on him what they considered to be the very worst possible thing that a person could do, and that was to commit suicide. The Jews believed that this was the worst thing that you could possibly do. In fact... It was the worst of all sins to them. It would condemn one's soul to the darkest regions of Hades. That's what they believed. In fact, Josephus wrote in his Wars of the Jews these words, The soul of those whose hands have acted madly against themselves are receiving, are received by the darkest place in Hades. They're heaping that on Jesus Christ, the light of the world. These Jews are like so many 
who are not just deaf to the gospel, they are mockingly deaf to the gospel. Jesus would certainly give up his life. But it would be a volunteer it would be voluntarily given. He no one no one would take it from him. He lay it, he would lay it down of his own accord, of his own will. He says in chapter ten, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I've received this charge from the Father. It wouldn't be by suicide. But but it would be by a murderous mob of wicked sinners who sought to justify themselves before God. This was, it was, it was of these kind that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 5. When he said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. There has to be more than this superficial, external acting out of religious things or religious garb there has to be more than that. There has to, that can come from a deep, dark heart. There has to be light that opens the heart and shows that we are dark and sinners. Something that gives life validity. That shows the true character of what God does. Not some outward legal set of rules but life that's lived out because you're walking with the one who is light and you can see exactly where you're going Paul says it in Romans chapter 3 verse 20 for by the works of the law no one will be justified in his sight you can't work your way there you can't do enough you can't One sinful act will keep you out. And you did that as soon as you were born. This was the impetus for Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You remember the story? Pharisee came, they're praying. Here's a tax collector over here and the Pharisee here. And the Pharisee prays to himself and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. He's looking down his nose at the tax collector. I thank you I'm not like, like him. I do this. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I have. But the tax collector wouldn't even acknowledge himself. He wouldn't even look up. Kept his head bowed. And all he would say is, God, be merciful to me, 
sinner. See, that's what that's the difference between true Christianity and false Christianity. Is that false Christianity elevates yourself in your own mind and makes you think you're something you're not. True Christianity makes you low. It brings you low. You know you don't deserve anything good from God. You realize that you deserve hell and punishment. But all you really want is mercy. And God is drawn to that. He's drawn to that. Jesus said the tax collector went away justified. Pharisee didn't. Jesus didn't acknowledge the Jews' mocking statements. But in verse 23, Jesus' statement gets very personal. And in his description of them, which by the way is a description of everyone, his description of them is very pointed. Notice he says, it's as though he's saying, Your mocking statements indicate that you are from below. What is he saying? What does he mean? Well, look at the the passage in verse uh, 24. Get back to the right page here. Um, No, it's not verse 24. It's verse 23. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. What is he actually saying about them? He uses the word below, meaning the regions below. And then he uses the world the word cosmos which is the word world and in this context it means the evil world system so he's saying that they are from the evil world system that that exists here on earth it is it is a system that is ruled by and controlled by Satan and is the seat of darkness. Paul describes it in Ephesians 6 as being under the operation of rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present, this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So, figure it out. There are Fallen, demonic, angelic beings that are ruling the airwaves of this world and the system that this world operates under. And Satan is at the top of that. The spiritual realm to which all unbelievers belong is this world system, this dark world system. And these people are acting out of the darkness they live in. It's what all, it's what all unbelievers do. You can see it in our day 
being played out in front of you. The darkness. The decisions that they make. They're acting out of the world they know and they live in. It is this evil world system controlled by Satan and his powers. In the sphere from which all believers, it is the sphere from which all believers are translated out of into Christ's kingdom of light. Keep in mind that everything about this world of darkness is false. It's false. Speaking of this world system, John MacArthur writes, It is utterly opposed to divine truth, righteousness, virtue, and holiness. Its opinions are wrong. Its aims are selfish. Its pleasures are sinful. Its influences are demoralizing. Its politics are corrupt. Its honors are empty. Its smiles are phony. And its love is false and fickle. Could not have said it better than that. People worldwide are engulfed in this darkness. And they cannot find their way out. And the only, only the light of the gospel of Christ can deliver them. That's the only way out of it. And there's not very many that find it. There's not very many that will look to that light. Only the light of the gospel. And the gospel can lead them out of it. But because their deeds are evil, they don't want to have anything to do with the light. They hate the light. Because the light shines on their evil deeds and exposes them, and they don't like that. Nobody likes to be exposed for doing something wrong or being looked down upon. or Nobody likes that. But they don't especially don't like it when God does it. This was why they hated Jesus. And it's why they hate his followers. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus said in John 17, I've given them, my followers, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. They're not of this world system. Just as I'm not of it. John writes in 1 John 3, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't let that take you by surprise. In 1 John 4, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not born of God does not listen to us. This is how we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Jesus was not of that world below. He was from the world above. Heaven. A world of light and peace and righteousness and hope. It's found in heaven. This is the above that he speaks of. So below is equated with world and above is is equated with heaven. Think of, I thought about, I don't have time to go on with the passage this morning, but I thought about this 
running all the way to the crucifixion of Christ. And as they nailed Jesus on the onto the cross and hung him between heaven and earth, <clears throat> and there he died, I thought, how Satan and these demonic, these demons must have rejoiced when he breathed his last. How they must have shouted and rejoiced with glee to see him die on the cross. The people too that were so opposed to him and so hated him, they rejoiced as well. Jesus stated that that would happen. Listen to what he says. John 16 verse 20. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament. He's speaking to his disciples here. You will weep and lament when I die. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. How did their sorrow get turned into joy? By his resurrecting from the dead. By his resurrection. And that's our joy as well. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to rejoice in, simply because our Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead. We're coming up on that theme. It should be the theme every week. But we're coming up on that yearly theme, aren't we? Those that refuse to believe will end up dying in their sin and their unbelief. And belief in Jesus as Lord is the only way for fallen mankind to deal with their sin. That's why Paul writes in Romans 10, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And you can't be saved from it any other way. I know that many of you have called on the Lord Jesus Christ and many of you have been saved, but maybe not all. So I pray that you will think about these things, that you will consider them in light of yourself and your own condition before God. I hope that you will end up repenting of your sins and following Christ. Believe in Him. Let's pray, and then I'll make an announcement. Father, we do thank You for this day and for Your Word. We thank You for the truth that we find in it. We thank You that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom we all are the foremost. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict those who need salvation, that you would show them their sinfulness before you, that without you they stand in judgment. Judgment is the next thing, for it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so I pray that you would show them. Draw your people closer to yourself. 
Give us the strength of your spirit and the faith to walk with you and to keep from sin. Lord, I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.